Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember having an impact on you? Crayola. I grew up with three sisters, and one of them actually went on to become an artist. And the idea of cracking open that box of Crayola, I can even remember the smell of the crayons and which of us, of the four of us, got our favorite colors and drawing in the new coloring book. There was something just magical about that. Did you color inside or outside the lines? Outside. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Linda Boff of GE, and she has one long title. She is the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer and VP of Learning and Culture and President of the GE Foundation. GE is 128 years old. The company has more than 190,000 employees, 100 billion plus in revenue, and Linda herself has about 2,000 employees who work under her remit. We talk about Linda's career path, starting off as a radio DJ in college, to now one of the biggest marketing jobs in the world. This is my conversation with Linda Bob. Welcome, Linda. So good to see you, and so timely to be talking (laughs) with you during this volatile time. You know, you have to be one of the most deeply affected CMOs in the world. I mean, you're in the energy business, you're in healthcare, you're in aviation, you're a truly global company. So tell tell us a bit about what unexpected things you're learning about yourself, <laughs> your team, you know, your life, how you lead. <laughs> I know we're, I, we're obviously all working remotely, et cetera, et cetera. But what kind of unexpected things have you learned? I, I think there may, Jim, not be a single thing in my life right now that is expected. So first of all, it's great to see you. It's great to be on. I've been such a fan of this. I know it's your one-year anniversary, just about. Thank you. Uh, Happy anniversary. I've learned a lot listening to you and the CMOs that have been on. So I'm really honored to be here. You know, GE, as you rightly said, but I'm going to reorder the businesses. um, Our highest margin, biggest business is aviation. And energy, healthcare, energy on both the renewable as well as gas power side, obviously, are, are, are big, big parts of our business. But it is hard to imagine a scenario. And, and look, you know, you've done this over the years just as well as I have. Scenario planning. How do you scenario plan no planes in the sky for this length of period? It, it's just, I don't want to say it's unfathomable, but it's, it's surreal. So um, GE came into 2020. Um, after what we called a reset year, where we had focused on strengthening our businesses and deleveraging. And we're feeling, no no victory flags, um, but we're feeling pretty good 
all things considered. And um, to be sitting here where we are today is sobering. Um, luckily, if you will, you know, when you turn the, the, the age that we have, we turned 128 in mid-April, you know, we've been through challenges before, um, and we'll be through them again. We're confident planes will fly again. We're confident that people will go back to having electric, uh, elective procedures again in healthcare. Obviously the world needs power and renewables. I think the question, and you, you hit on it in many ways, is one of resiliency and leadership, both on a personal level, as well as, frankly, looking around to my colleagues, both inside and outside the company, for how to stay strong in times like this. I, that's what I think about a lot, because you can control what you can control, right? We're doing everything we can to sort of embrace the reality that we're in redefine winning, even from when we came into the year to now, and execute the plan. But you can only control those things that are, that are um, you know, um, there for you. So I think what is, to me, controllable is leadership and how you show up. So that's what I'm thinking a lot about these days. Are there any rituals, Linda, you know, professionally and personally that you've developed since the crisis has been upon us, you know, two months ago or so that have yeah. been useful for you? Well, I am one of those people that really doesn't like working from home. Never have. It's, I've always felt um, that I do a really nice job compartmentalizing. You know, when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm home, I, I try to sort of, you know, to the degree I can, you know, kind of recharge. And those days are obviously over for all of us. So I absolutely have a ritual. I go to work in the morning. I have a, a little office. You're seeing perhaps a little bit of it in the background. I didn't put on some fancy Zoom background or anything. So, so to me, the going to work is really important. I think what's hard for me, I know, I think for, for many of us is you never really go home from work. And I think that part has been hard. It's been hard on my husband who's here with me, which is I don't turn off at the end of the day and I don't turn off on weekends. Um, so a couple things I've tried to do, you know, just in case it's inspiring. I think when you lead teams, people take your, their cues from, from all of us. So um, I haven't done this as often as perhaps I should, but I've tried when we head into a weekend, if there isn't anything burning, to literally send out a note and say, I'm not working this weekend. I hope you don't either. Because I think sometimes these days, it's so strange, but we have to literally give ourselves permission to stop working and then to not send the 200 emails that follow it. So I think that's important and modeling that behavior is important. A second one I would say, and again, this is so obvious, but, but I think sometimes you still forget it, is the necessity of constant and frequent communications. I cannot speak to my teams enough. I can't do enough Zooms. I can't have enough, you know, sort of quarantinis at the end of the day <laughs> with people just to see their faces. And frankly, none of us have anything new to say most of the time, but it doesn't really matter. You know, you bring a dog on, you bring a kid on. So I think for all of us, just that, that, um, ongoing relentless communications, which, you know, I grew up with, you grew up with is, you know, we have to remember that at these times. Hey, I want to start our podcast by taking a quick look backward and go back to college. 
Mm. And so you started your college life at Union College. I went to Franklin and Marshall, very similar kind of similar. schools. Yeah, and super cultures. And you studied political science and psychology. You played lacrosse. You were a radio DJ and a photo editor. You wore a lot of hats back then, and you still do. What about that college experience is relevant for you now? What was important there for your development? So uh, it's a great question. I'd say a couple things. Um, and maybe this is in some ways, although I never would have been able to tell my 19 or 20 year old self this, I think um, the, uh, the curiosity in lots of different things has always served me well. And you know, the list you just read of my college experience, there's nothing in common with any of those things. And I'd say if I look back on my own career from the agency side to working in financial services to GE, where I sort of do a hat dance these days, I, I lead marketing and communications, I lead learning and what we're doing to develop our people and I lead our foundation. Um, so I'm deeply curious. I have a, um, uh, uh, I love a challenge. I love the figuring out piece of all of this. I just love that. So I'd say, well, I absolutely would not have put those pieces together back then. I think as I look back on it, it there, there are so many similarities, right? There's the, the juggling that comes with this. I would say the other thing, um, and the psychology uh, piece of it always comes back to me, which is how people behave and what they want. You know, as a marketer, and this I think is true both inside your company and outside your company, discerning what it is that our various audiences are looking for, not what they say they're looking for always, um, not, what, um, not what others say, you know, we should be doing, I think has served me well. So I'm always curious about what motivates people. We're going to get in, into that in a minute. I just, I want to go laser in on one thing in your college experience. You were a DJ. So what yeah. kind of DJ were you, Linda? Were you an outrageous one? Were you a mellow one? What was your personality on air? <laughs> so I, um, I guess like many college DJs, you work your way up, Jim, to a good spot. So it took me two years to get sort of a cocktail hour spot Thursday at five o'clock. My first slot was 5 a.m. On, I don't even remember, it was a Tuesday, I think. And so back then, without dating myself horribly, you know, you would get to the, uh, uh, you know, DJ booth and you would go into the back and pull out the LPs. Remember those? And put them oh, yeah. Style. And so I started almost every show with as long a track as I could find because it was 5 a.m. and I needed just a little bit of time to kind of get going. So most of the time I started with Grateful Dead, Box of Rain. I love the Grateful Dead. It's a beautiful song and it also is long. Um, but my music taste then is the same as it is now, highly eclectic. Rock, folk, a little bit of country. Um, there wasn't rap back then, although I love rap now. So. I don't, I think I was, I, maybe it's like my career. I was an eclectic DJ and I loved it. absolutely loved it. So I see in social media, your husband is also really into music. Did you meet him in your DJ years or was it after? Later, later. In fact, uh, I don't think you can see it. There's a couple gold records on this wall behind me. I can see them. Okay. So Regis, my husband um, was a, on the business side of music. He was a tour manager for a bunch of rock bands, The Who and, and Genesis, and then did a country music concert series. 
and we met while he was producing this country music series. And uh, I, I have to say, it's um, uh, you know the music business. I don't think is uh, the you know a space that's necessarily given to like you know quiet home life, but it's worked for us. And we have two kids who have amazing taste in music. So let's let's flip to your post college years, and I just want to rattle through your career: Porter Novelli. American Museum of Natural History, CMO at iVillage, which is part of NBC Universal, of course, Director of Marketing and Communication at City, 17 years at GE with a mind-boggling scope right now, which we'll talk about in a minute. What's the red thread in that career? Is it curiosity? Is it following interesting trends or bosses? I think it's a few things. I mean, certainly curiosity is, is, is deeply within those things. I think um, I have a um, allergy toward repeating things. And I think um, whether that's industry, um, sector, or even exactly the same assignment, um, I don't even know, Jim, it's about being bored easily. Um, I think it's that idea that something new is always tantalizing to me. And, you know, look, that can have good sides and bad sides right? Because a big part of, of what we all do, what I do, is you have to dig in really deeply. But I am always drawn toward the new. I'm always drawn toward the possible. Um, I uh, uh, have a hard time saying no. Definitely my Achilles heel, the thing I'm always aware of, is just focusing on fewer versus more. But I would say the, the red thread is I love um, new ideas. I love new people. I've had the opportunity throughout my career, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it in regard to GE, to just meeting people from the startup community, from all across the tech community. And I find that always inspiring. So I've tried to kind of move forwards. I, I never... I don't think I have a traditional ladder. I don't even think I have a ladder, right? In terms of this, then this, then this. Um, and I feel a sense that, I don't know about you, but I sometimes think of my career like a patchwork quilt and I put new squares on it and together they assemble into something that I wouldn't trade for anything. I, I've, I've loved it. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. I love that metaphor. I've heard people say jungle gym versus ladder. I love the quilt even better. So, well, we're in nice. a time of like, you know, embracing uh, uh, sewing and puzzles and all the rest of it. So perhaps it's apt. Now, along that rich career, what's the toughest decision you've had to make in terms of that career? So about three-ish years ago, um, where we had um, uh, change in chairman at GE, uh, and then a change again. Um, and it was clearly going to be a long road. Um, it would have been easier to leave than to stay, if I'm being really honest. And 
I think it goes a little bit with what we were just talking about, right? You know, fresh new industry, um, completely new challenge. And I talk about this I, somewhat inside the company. I'm not sure I've talked about it outside the company. I, um, it was tempting at that point to think about, is it just easier somewhere else? And I'm so glad I stayed because there's nothing like, I, I didn't know about COVID at that point, but there's nothing like that feeling of staring up at a mountain and saying, can I actually climb this? Then getting at least a good way up and looking back down again and saying, that was hard, but wow, do I feel like it's been good, not just personally, but I've led a team or teams through this. Um, I've worked really hard. You know, I always talk about work that's hard and fulfilling and work that's hard and exhausting, and it's largely been hard and, and fulfilling. Um, COVID presents a whole new challenge, but it's not a unique one. I think in the last couple of years, it felt as though um, while other companies had challenges, GE had a, a fair amount of wind in its face. Now we're all in this together. Varying degrees, certainly. Some industries, aviation, hospitality, live events, et cetera, hit harder. Um, but it felt a little lonelier back then. What was the catalyst, Linda? Was it a discussion you had with someone? Was it just some reflection? Was it uh, pros and cons? I mean, how did you make that jump? Yeah, you know, I like to think of myself, Jim, as, as really practical. And, and largely, I am. I'm the... Um, the the financial head of our family these days, the music business is long in, in the rearview mirror for Regis. So there's always a practical side to everything I do. But in the end, I, um, I sort of searched my soul and thought about what it is GE does in the world and the people I work with. And look, there are so many companies that do amazing things. And I, I think we're seeing in some ways, sides of companies we've never seen before through this crisis and sides of people we've never seen before. But I have always felt this immense pride, almost honor to work for a company that um, brings power to places that don't have it, that gives healthcare to folks in remote areas, that, that brings people up and down safely in planes. And it's always felt, um, like a greater purpose. So that for sure. And then I feel like I work with the best people in the entire world and I have their back and they have mine. And uh, so I'd say it was a combination of those two things. And, you know, one day I just woke up and realized this was the greatest challenge, right? And it doesn't get better than that. Make it easier, but it doesn't get better. You just referred to purpose and the impact your company makes around the world. Can you talk about that a little bit more? You, you've, you've always been, I think since the beginning, a purposeful organization, going back to Thomas Edison and J.P. Morgan and yeah. other founders. Yeah. So can you speak a little bit more? How do you describe GE and its purpose today mm -hmm. to others? Mm -hmm. And has that changed a bit in the last three or four years? Yeah, you know, yes and no. So I think like... Um, any company that is purpose mission driven and has been around for a century plus, I think the essence, the DNA, it, there is a constant there. And I think there has been for us in whatever words we've used 
over the years. And, and we've used some pretty famous words over the years, right? Whether it's bring good things to life, imagination at work, et cetera. Um, ironically, with a chairman that's now 19, 20 months into the job, we rolled out some new words at the beginning of March, very beginning of March. Larry Kolb, our really fabulous CEO, stood up and said, okay, this is what unites us. We rise to the challenge of building a world that works. And I have to tell you, you know, this was, what are we now? May 4th? This wasn't even two months ago. And we had plans, external plans, how we were going to roll this out. There was going to be something called the Summer Olympics in Tokyo in summer of 2020 now a year from now, we had a plan. And, you know, the old Mike Tyson phrase, you know, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the nose. So COVID punched us in the nose, just like it punched everybody in the nose. And yet I couldn't be happier that we stood up there, that Larry stood up there in the beginning of March and articulated what it is we do and the reason why. And that's been a touchstone to us I don't care if we advertise in the Olympics. I don't care if we do any of that. You know, at some point we'll get back to that and maybe you and I will talk about that a little more too. But to, um, to re-articulate why we matter couldn't have been timed better. So um, I think you, you know us really well, Jim, and you've been a counselor to, to me and Beth before me and, and others. Um, You've helped us a great deal over the years, and uh, you come from a place that was purpose-driven at PNG. Those things get you through a lot; they really do. I mean, I think it is what gets you up in bed, up in the morning. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, we're we're in a time that's going to be it's going to take everything we have to to get through this and get through it well, given how hard some of our industries have been hit. So it's kind of you know being realistic, being optimistic, and equal doses of both. Yeah. Your role at GE, your, your job scope seems huge. And I want to talk to you a bit about that. You have learning and development, CMO, the foundation. How do you focus with that kind of scope? How do you stay proactive versus reactive? Yeah. And do you recommend that scope to others? <laughs> I mean, really, it's an interesting combination. Yeah, no, I know it is. I know it is. Um, you know, talk about, let's talk about Red Thread first. So to me, while these things may seem um, like slightly odd bedfellows, I, I, the, the symmetry that, that I see is one that is the, the culture both inside and outside the company, how we develop our leaders, um, what we stand for in terms of how we help communities, the foundation, and then um, how we communicate and market ourselves. So I don't see um, vast gulfs between these things. That being said, there are distinct teams with distinct goals. And I think like anybody, when it's working on a good day, wow, I'd recommend it to anybody. And on a bad day, go get your head examined because, you know, we're all just humans. So I, um, I'm blessed with fantastic teams and team leaders. Um, again, I think when I'm my best self, I'm letting them run and jumping in where it's needed. When I'm my worst self, I get too involved in details. And I love details. You know, I love getting my hands dirty, but I've 
learned and I'm still learning that, um, that my teams will succeed the best. If I supply motivation, I supply some goals and I clear some rocks. So that to me is, is the, is the balance. Um, I mentioned this earlier in our discussion saying no, not good at saying no, good at saying yes. And I think I've come to realize that every time I say yes to something, I'm not creating work for my team because it just, you know, it rolls down. I say, yes, somebody has to investigate. Um, somebody has to potentially get back to me, write a brief, what have you. So that has helped me be, be more disciplined is this knowledge that by um, agreeing to things, I'm actually keeping work on the shoulders of people that are really busy. Um, and I, I believe that by connecting the dots across these areas, learning, leadership, foundation, communications, marketing, I've got a little bit of a shortcut that enables parts of our company to work better. So that, that's very empowering. When you said yes to join this reset for GE three years ago, mm. you know, what do you feel was the biggest competency or capability you had to help build in marketing at GE as part of this reset? Yeah. Well, interesting question. Um, in some ways, Jim, I feel as though the marketing at GE in the last, I mean, listen, Beth gets so much of the credit here, right? To be able to come after, after Beth Comstock is, a, is, is something I'll never get over, right? As long as I live. Um, and Beth sets so much of good emotion. But I actually felt pretty good about how we were going to market and in a couple different ways. One, from a narrative and storytelling point of view, I think that our um, understanding of the brand and the DNA and how to bring that to life on media channels, um, uh, uh, through technology, our voice was actually quite good and in some ways a little bit ahead of its time. I think we were very innovative in our marketing and, and where we showed up. Um, so in a, in a funny way, um, <laughs> recent years have been more about, okay, are we during a challenging time period doing things that are going to move the ship forward and make sure that we're not chasing shiny objects or taking on hobbies. And in some ways, that's, that's been a challenge. I would say um, making sure that we are using data, that we are being precise in the audiences that we target globally, incredibly important. We, you know, our bullseye for our audiences um, certainly has business decision makers in the center of it, our customers. But, you know, when you go through a time like we're all going through now with, with COVID-19, um, our employees and our investors are, are right in that bullseye along with our customers because they've got to have faith in, in us and what we can do and in the long term. So I would say that as we, as we think about our marketing, um, we've just been having this conversation recently, um, we have 
about a thousand locations when all is said and done of, of very varying types from, from plants to offices, service centers, repair shops, et cetera. And um, if there ever was an argument for one size fits all, and I say, if, boy, is that blown up now. And being precise and targeted in those messages, whether that's returning to work, whether that's um, how we're serving various customers, um, how we're saluting different types of workers. You know, we have folks right now, right now in Madison, Wisconsin, who have doubled and then doubled again production of ventilators. This is a small business for GE. If you had asked me a year ago if we made ventilators, I'm not sure I would have been able to give you a correct answer. And yet we have people um, who have left their vacations, driven across the country to work in this factory. So, you know, what's the right way to market that? Is there a right way to market that? So, you know, it's, it's just interesting. I find many CMOs, you know, we're all on these various chains and Facebook groups, et cetera, um, being very collaborative about tonality, about what's right and when it's right, um, how to make sure that we're keeping our brands alive, but doing it in a way that is super sensitive these days, and, and rightly so. I want to get your. I want to shift gears a little bit here and yeah. helicopter up. And uh, you and I have talked about this really interesting uh, area of corporate brand mm. and how do you make decisions on the corporate brand. Yep. You know, P and G, Intel, GE, IBM. They all wrestle with this. What's the balance? What's the value of it? How much resources do I put behind it? Uh, it's a tough topic and one many wrestle with. So I just wonder, you're in a real catbird seat on this. Yeah. What have you learned about this? This uh, How do you make those decisions to support corporate brand versus the divisions? Yeah. What have you learned about that in your career at GE that would help others? So here, here's what I've found. Um, at any given time, a pendulum is swinging in a big company. Right, and there are there's purely centralized, there's purely decentralized, there's hybrid, and I I firmly believe that um, in until and if something changes in our world, that model is going to shift with times and need, and ours has. So we have and are shifting to be more decentralized in how we operate our businesses, um, and that is very clear, very intentional. What I've also learned, though, is for all of the companies you just named, and, and certainly I'll speak to mine, um, it's hard to decentralize a brand. And we are a branded house. We only go to market as GE, you know, with some acquisitive exceptions here and there, particularly now that NBC isn't part of the family. So if we have a uh, reputation issue in India, Brazil, or Munich, pick, pick any area, or Cleveland, um, I promise you it's not a local issue. And I promise you it's not a GE Healthcare, GE Aviation, GE Renewables, or GE Power issue. It's a GE issue. So I've talked quite a bit internally about how it is really hard to decentralize a brand. Now, I, um, and I really believe, Jim, that, that something can be true operationally, that isn't true in terms of the brand. 
And it's taken me a while to get there because, you know, look, I, um, I want us always to be putting our best foot forward. I always want consistency. Um, and at the same time as whoever created the expression long ago, freedom within the framework, I think part of this to me has always come down to how thick or thin that frame is. And it's all about the times that you're in. So I can't sit in New York or Westchester, <laughs> New York these days and make terrific decisions about what should go on in Shanghai. But I think if there isn't some type of framework, what's the point of having a brand? So that's how I, you know, I oversimplifying it, but that's kind of how I come at it in the end. Words of wisdom, Linda. <laughs> we'll say. <laughs> hey, we have a few minutes left, yes. and I just want to end this with a bit of a lightning round. So let's Please. jump into it. Yeah. What's a brand right now that you would rather not live without that's highly relevant to you? It's hard not to pick Amazon. You know, I, I think save for Amazon, um, uh, life would be a little bit harder. So I salute the, the men and women of Amazon that are driving those trucks. You followed a very iconic, admired, and loved leader in Beth Comstock. Indeed. What's one phrase about Beth that you carry forward? as inspiration in your current role? <laughs> um, I think it's still on the wall in Beth's conference room. Um, this We framed it for her. It says, I love it. What is it? So <laughs> Beth, uh, <laughs> Beth was such a great leader, is such a great leader, and, and remains a, a dear friend and constant inspiration. So I think Beth was always motivated by what's around the corner, just always, and, and drove the company and her teams into places that we never would have gone otherwise. I mean, the list is long, eco-imagination and uh, what we did with uh, the industrial internet and, and so many things, right? The list goes on. And yet I think Beth was the first one to then say, okay, well, how are we actually going to get it done? How are we going to roll up our sleeves and do this? And so that's, that's what comes to mind. But read, there's there so many more. I know it. I know it. Uh, what is your favorite date with your musical husband? Favorite date? Yeah. Well, in the world of COVID, we, are, we have rewatched Mad Men from season one. And I have to say to, to the audience that I presume is going to be watching this, if you either haven't or only saw it the first time, which was me, it is just priceless. It's priceless both in terms of how much our industry has changed. It's priceless for women. And it is just um, so freaking brilliant. So that's a good date these days. I should do that again. I'm watching, so the, I'm watching The Outsider right now. And that's kind of, it's uh, scary. <laughs> I bet it is. <laughs> Giving me some adrenaline, but I should, I should go back and watch Mad Men. That's a good it's idea. Really, it's, I'm telling you, it's really, really good. Holds up. You have said it is important to find your own interestingness. Mm -hmm. What is yours? You know, I always said that in relation to GE, and to me, GE's interestingness um, was always its deep roots in innovation. Edison, as you mentioned, the fact that what we do is. Um, never cool and yet always cool. 
I mean, that to me is GE's interestingness. Um, my own is one I, I never reflect on. I'm, I'm uh, such an extrovert. I, you know, I have a son who's an introvert and uh, I always say to, you know, what are you thinking about all the time? Because, you know, all his thoughts are in there, whereas all of mine are, are outside. But I guess if I had to take a moment, um, I don't know. I, I care very deeply for people. I care deeply for the people around me. Um, and I'm also fascinated with um, all realms of, of pop culture, um, art, music, literature, their intersections. Um, I uh, like probably half of America, I'm reading Splendid and Vile right now and just taking such inspiration from Winston Churchill and that year in 1940, 41. So I, you know, I guess it's some form of, of the storytelling that connects all those, all those dots, Jim. Who would you like to hear on the on the CMO podcast? Who would be interesting for you? Oh my gosh, you've had so many fascinating folks. Um, I guess right now it would be really interesting to um, hear some folks in the uh, medical space in particular. I, I think that would be fascinating, given what they are they're working through right now. Um, you know, whether that's on the, on the hospital side, uh, pharmaceutical, with the pressure that they all have to get us out of this mess. I would love to hear more from the science side of our world. A little less it's, political side, more from the science side. It's a great idea. We have Vineet Mara from Walgreens Boots mm -hmm. Alliance coming up soon, but we should, we should get someone from Gilead or J&J &J or someone in the I, I, I think that would be a, I think that would be amazing. Even somebody from like a, a Mount Sinai or something yeah. who's in the heart of New York City and has had to had to work through this is just fascinating. I mean, I'm 25 miles from New York City and, and yet you, you feel a world away and they're they're right at the epicenter. So that would be wonderful if you could uh, if you could bring some of that additional wisdom. Great idea. So I'll turn the table. We have time for one more question. We have a minute or two left. What would you like to ask me, Linda? I guess, Jim, you know, you, you've provided so much sage wisdom to all of us. Um, and uh, what is your wisdom these days for marketers as we look toward a path where the, the line of marketing, as we were talking about, is such a, a delicate one and being tone deaf is, is, um, is, is, is so dangerous that I think we're all perhaps being too gingerly. I don't know. So give us your advice on that. Give me your advice. I think it is a new world of brand purpose and it's about serving others and it's about actions and it's about being more consumer centric than you ever had imagined. Mm -hmm. And I think that will guide you. And I think those brands that we admire right now who are stepping up are doing it in service of others. I mean, I, I was talking to Pedro Arp at ABNBev the other day, he yes. said, I asked him what he's learned about brand building. He said, forget about brand building. We're not even thinking about our brands right now, to be honest with you. We're thinking about helping people. And that's just the right thing to do. And I see a lot of that now, but I think brand purpose is on steroids now. And those that are real and authentic and acting versus talking are the ones who I think will get through this with stronger organizations and a stronger customer base. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I've probably spent more time this last month in helping to set up GE's Employee Relief Fund, which we're doing from the salary cuts many of us have taken, then I have thinking about, you know, 
any type of paid media. So I think you're right. It is in the end going to be the actions that we've all taken. So, so, so wise as always. Linda, this has been wonderful. You know, so much good luck to you for, with your company and your health of yourself and your family and your employees. Uh, this has been a real treat reconnecting with you. Uh, you have so many important things to do in the world, especially now in the categories that you are in. So all the best to you and your team. And to you as well, Jim. It's just been my honor. I uh, love talking to you. That was my conversation with Linda Boff. I love how she sees her role as a catalyst for innovation in the company. I love how she sees curiosity and passion as the red thread in her very rich and diverse career. And finally, I love how she made a commitment and a decision when GE was going through a very tough time to be part of the reset. And that reset has only gotten more dramatic with COVID-19, but she and the team are up for the challenge. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.